AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's Wednesday, June 15th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The bear market is here. The S&P 500 is more than 20% off its peak, and it's time for investors to reassess their risks in the stock market. Tech stocks are down, and the crypto market, which was once seen as a hedge against failing markets and inflation, is also seeing huge drops. Suzanne Woolley, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News, joins us for more. Next, after more than two years of the pandemic, we are seeing that COVID is making the flu and other common viruses act in unfamiliar ways. Behavioral changes like stay-at-home orders, masking, and social distancing could be responsible for some of these viral shifts. For instance, at Yale New Haven Children's Hospital, children are being admitted with a range of seven different respiratory viruses, many of which are out of season and seem to be more virulent. Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post, joins us for how everything is out of whack. Finally, President Biden is increasingly growing frustrated with rising prices and the inability of the White House to bring down inflation. The American people are even more so frustrated as they continue to get hammered with no end in sight. Tyler Pager, White House reporter at The Washington Post, joins us for how Biden is worried about messaging and ineffective policies impacting the economy. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. You want to look at your portfolio and think about, is this level of risk something that I can live with through a bull market and a bear market? not just uh, the kind of market that we've had until June 13th. Joining us now is Suzanne Woolley, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News. Thanks for joining us, Suzanne. Good to be here. Well, the S&P 500 has finally slipped into a bear market. Generally, that's defined as a market close that's at least 20% below its peak. There's a lot of financial worries out there right now. We're going through high inflation, high gas prices. There's fears of a recession oncoming. It's all out of whack right now. But, uh, you know, this uh, bear market now uh, is going on. And, uh, you know, the playbook for investors starts changing right away. You got to reassess a lot of your risk and what's going on. So, Suzanne, what are we seeing with the market? And then what should we, how should we start adjusting to it? Well, I mean, what we've seen is obviously a really violent downdraft that I think just hurts all the more because we've had such a long bull market, a really historically long bull market. So many people have gotten into the market and all they've known are up markets. So this has been a really sort of devastating and pretty quick blow. And I think one way that 
investors can react is, this sounds a little trite, but just by taking sort of a breath, not reacting, but sort of sitting down, looking at portfolio, seeing if your stake in tech stocks has risen well above your comfort level. It was easy to be comfortable with a high level of tech when the market was only going up, but that was a sort of a bull market portfolio. So you want to look at your portfolio and think about, is this level of risk something that I can live with through a bull market and a bear market, not just uh, the kind of market that we've had until June 13th. Tell me a little bit more about the tech stocks, because, uh, you know, in January, they were at their peak. Meta Platforms now, since then, has gone down more than 50%. Amazon fell 39%. Microsoft, Apple, and Alphabet lost a quarter of their value. Yeah. So what are people to do with that? Because as you mentioned, you know, a lot of people put their money in there. And, you know, should they be selling at this time? It's probably not selling off because you're not going to make the same amount of money back. But what should people it's, do? That it's really hard. In? I mean, it's sort of like we all thought that we were diversified, but our S&P fund, S&P 500 fund, we found basically had about 25% in five stocks of those ones that you just mentioned. Even now, after we've had this big downdraft, they still make up those, those big mega cap tech stocks. They still make up about 20%. That is a lot. The S&P 500 really became this big sort of momentum fund. And, you know, what you do now really depends on your, your situation. If you are young, a financial planner would say, probably say sit, sit, sit tight. It feels painful. But often the worst thing you can do in the markets is to buy at a high, sell at a low. It's a classic mistake that investors make. And we like to think we're rational beings, but money makes us emotional. And so a lot of people might be tempted to just sort of sell it all and move into cash. But that is pretty risky in a way, too, because cash is making next to nothing now. And with inflation high and rising, the purchasing power of that cash is just going to go down. So you need to create a portfolio that you can live with through bull and bear markets. And, you know, a financial planner might say that if you do find that you're very heavily weighted in tech, you might want to start winnowing that down a bit, you know, and moving into areas of the market such as value stocks that aren't so highly valued. So that's a classic strategy. I mean, ideally, we would have all sold a bit on the way up and averaged into, say, you know, more value-oriented stocks on the way down. Cryptocurrency also down a bunch. And for a long time, people thought they were diversifying by putting their money in a cryptocurrency. And it's just not working out that way right now. So true. I mean, it's really what's been so sort of hard and horrible about this market is that the classic ways we think we diversify, they haven't been working. You know, your stock portfolio went down. Bond prices are going down. Bonds have not proved a ballast to stocks. Crypto, people thought, you know, maybe it would be an inflation hedge. and certainly hasn't worked out that way. So a lot of the traditional ways that we sort of protect our portfolio by diversification aren't working. But when you look at the stock market, in the short term, it's driven by psychology. And in the long term, math wins out. And so I think, I don't think it's true that stock and bond diversifying, you know, through a mix of stock and bonds will not make sense in the long run. Right now, yields are, well, interest rates are starting to move up. So your bonds are actually going to start making a little more money for you. And you could make an argument that, you know, they may become a better diversifier moving forward. So I guess bottom line, I think that diversifying still, still works, but we're just at this at the beginning of a bear market, 
sometimes uh, Rob Arnott, who's the founder of an investment firm called Research Affiliates, he was saying to me that at the start of the bear market, it's sort of like everything goes down. It sort of looks like diversification doesn't work. It's sort of a take-no-prisoners account. But that as a bear market, as we move into a bear market, the market starts discerning a little bit more, being more discerning, and sort of that's when diversifiers start actually working for your portfolio. Suzanne Woolley, personal finance reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. Those kids, that cohort of kids who for two years were really exposed to very few viruses are going to be extremely interesting to study later on and figure out what we learn about the connections between development and infection. Joining us now is Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Francis. Thank you for having me. Well, let's talk about what's going on right now with the flu and other common viruses that we're seeing. Obviously, going through years of the pandemic now and going on lockdown, wearing masks, social distancing, everything's been kind of thrown out of whack. And, uh, you know, anecdotally, a lot of you might have known somebody that got a cold very recently while other people were getting COVID. And, you know, it was an extremely bad case of it. I know a few people that went through that specifically. But uh, we're seeing people, uh, you know, even kids come down with all sorts of different respiratory viruses. And uh, like I said, it's throwing off the seasonality of these viruses. Everything's kind of out of whack. So, Francis, tell us a little bit more about it, please. And I have to say that one of the reasons that I started looking was that I had a lousy cold this year, one that wouldn't go away and seemed worse, although who knows, we haven't had colds for such a long time. Maybe we've just, you know, our memories are bad. And I also knew of a child, a young child who developed RSE at a funny time, but this is a a respiratory virus rather late in the year in May. So I did start making calls. And one of the most interesting ones I started out with was to the Yale New Haven Children's Hospital, where a pediatrician there told me they had admitted children with seven different respiratory viruses in a very short period of time at the end of May. And he said to me, this is a man called Tom Murray said to me, you know, we wouldn't normally see that in winter. It would be unusual in winter and kind of unheard of in May or June. So right now where researchers are at with this is they're trying to figure out what happened. So how did all these stay at home orders, all this masking, social distancing, how did it change everything? And for me, I avoided COVID for two and a half years. It finally caught up with me, but uh, it kicked my butt and I just attributed to not being sick Mm. for so long. Well, I don't know about that with COVID, but certainly when you generally have exposure to viruses, your immune system keeps getting rebooted. It's a little bit like a memory test. So when you haven't had a virus for a long time, it can come and get you at a funny time of the year because there are a lot of people out there who don't have, who haven't been exposed. So that's why these viruses are moving out of season. We may find out, and I think this is just fascinating, that once a lot of people have had COVID, that it becomes a seasonal virus again, because there won't be, at the moment it's, it's around during the summer, or because there are so many people still who haven't had it and still are vulnerable to it. So at the moment, scientists are really working out how this is all going to fall into shape. And it may take not just months, but years. And I have to say that there's sort of a little bit of a silver lining the scientists in all of this, and I keep trying to look at silver linings and in, in the horrors that the country has been through and the world has been through, and that is that this process of us removing ourselves from each other and from circulation has allowed them to study how those behaviors had an impact and how viruses interact with one another. There's a process known as innate immunity, which happens when one virus infects the cells in your nasal passengers 
and it actually gives you a little bit of protection, short-term protection, but real protection against another virus. So scientists, much as they wish this had never happened, can also see that they will learn from it. What are we seeing, especially when it comes to younger children? There was a crazy stat that I saw in your story that basically said, normally a child younger than five has, on average, a virus in his or her nose 26 out of 50 weeks of the year. So basically half right. of the time they have some virus circulating around. So We have all seen those, those snotty noses, right? right? We all know that, the toddler experience. So what does this do to our youngest kids that you know went through the pandemic without being exposed to that many viruses? So again, there could be a silver lining here. One of the big risks for asthma later in life is to have severe infections with the rhinovirus, or more commonly RSV, early in those years. And that's associated, those severe infections, it's associated with the kind of lung problems later on that we all know about, people with asthma and things like that. Those kids didn't get it. Their, their lungs developed without having that infection. And we're going to learn whether they escape asthma later on. Those kids, that cohort of kids who for two years were really exposed to very few viruses are going to be extremely interesting to study later on and figure out what we learn about the connections between development and infections. You know, we've been talking a lot about the social after effects of, you know, schooling and disruptions there. But this is the other side, the health side of things, how this mm. pause, these two and a half year mm. pause is really impacting us in the long term. Yeah. And I think actually one of the other things we're beginning to learn, which is very interesting, is, you know, we have got such insights now into long COVID with a lot, lot more to learn. But I think people are now going to be looking more closely at the long-term effects of flu and other viruses, which really haven't been very well studied. And I heard from well-known author, John Barry, of, um, the author of the 1918 flu book, and he was talking about people talking for years after being infected with that flu, of the impact on them. And I think this is an opportunity. It's a moment when we may learn about how viruses continue to have an impact on us. Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. People don't want to talk about these days, but it's true. Since I've become president, we've created eight 0.7 million new jobs in 16 months on all-time record. Joining us now is Tyler Pager, White House reporter at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Tyler. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's talk about what everybody's talking about right now. Inflation, high gas prices. It's really hampering everybody across the country. And the White House has been really trying to dampen these prices for a long time. But what we're seeing right now is increasing frustration from President Biden, the inability to bring those prices down. We're seeing hearing about blow ups from President Biden to his staff, questioning you know some of the actions they've been taking. And it's just really the thing that is nailing them right now, especially as we're starting to get into the midterms. So, Tyler, what are we seeing with all of this? The president has grown increasingly frustrated with his staff over the problem of rising prices, as we dub it inflation, but it's really hitting Americans on kitchen table issues, on things that they do every day, fill up their car with gas, go to the supermarket to to buy food, go shopping for for new clothes. We're seeing it across the board. And as we know, voters often, the issue they care about most is the economy and the president understands that. He's tried to empathize with voters nationwide as he discusses these issues. But at the end of the day, what they want to see and what the president wants to see is these prices to go back down and, and not rise as quickly as they have been. And so we've been writing increasingly about these episodes inside the Oval Office, inside the West Wing, where sources have described to me the president really voicing his frustration over their inability to make much progress on this. The latest example of this I wrote about this week was over a policy rollout that the president did in the spring where he they tried to lower gas prices by granting this waiver to uh, allow a type of gasoline that's made with ethanol to be sold over the summer. Normally it's not. And the president was quite skeptical of its impact on lowering gas prices and was concerned about it potentially harming his climate agenda. So he really badgered his aides both before and after the event where he ultimately did announce this policy. And I think why the episode matters and why it's important, obviously what the president cares about and anytime he gets frustrated or really badgers his aides is noteworthy, but it's more of a microcosm of this larger struggle his administration has had when it comes to trying to wrangle down prices and control and Inflation. Um, and I think just to broaden it out, this issue of inflation is now overshadowing his domestic agenda, his international priorities, and his party's political prospects as we head into the midterms. There are some positive signs in the economy, like near record low unemployment. But when prices are so high, I mean, that doesn't really matter to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, we're seeing the president try to pin this on uh, gas companies and corporations not paying their fair share. But really, none of this is hitting. None of the messaging points that they're trying to get across are really making an impact. Right. Again, I I think the problem here is the messaging only goes so far. But at the end of the day, what people care about, what voters care about, is what's coming out of their bank account. And and so I think the president understands that. That is why he's voicing this frustration repeatedly to aides. And they're trying a whole host of different messaging, you know, blaming corporations for price gouging, blaming Putin and the invasion of Ukraine. And all of those things are, are components of this as well. But I think the patience of Americans from looking at public polling and talking to voters is waning because time and time again, we're not seeing prices stable. We're not seeing prices go down. We're just seeing them continue to rise.
And we're seeing a change in the tactics that the president is going through, too. For a long time, he was saying that they weren't really going to be doing a lot of deals with Saudi Arabia. But now we're seeing renewed engagement. We're hearing that he's going to be heading out there next month. And the hope is that they'll bolster some oil production. Hopefully that'll bring some gas prices down. That's kind of a long game. Still has yet to be seen. But even then, you know, they're they're having to change everything that uh, they once said they wouldn't do. The Saudi Arabia trip is obviously fascinating for a whole host of reasons. You know, the president as a a candidate said that he would treat Saudi Arabia like a pariah state and that he didn't see a whole lot of redeeming qualities in the current government. And now he's going there and, and giving them one of the highest honors, which is to receive and greet the president of the United States. They are framing this trip, that they being the White House, the Biden administration, as more focused on peace deals in the Middle East and normalization ties with Israel. But it's inescapable that, that the people who have been working on this trip are people like Amos Hochstein, who is the main energy person at the White House, at the State Department, and is a close Biden advisor. I mean, so the oil is undoubtedly going to be part of this. But I think they're also trying to downplay expectations because Saudi Arabia increasing their oil exports, pumping more oil into the market, they do not think will have a dramatically important impact on the oil market. Again, a lot of people saying it's ultimately when does this war in Ukraine end? And that is going to be a key touchstone for us to start to see these prices drop. But there's there's not a lot of optimism there, just given the, the state of affairs. And so I think, again, this is going to be a significant challenge for Biden, for Democrats as they uh, as they head into the midterms. What do we make about Democrats in the president's own party that haven't been supportive of a lot of his economic plans? Senator Joe Manchin is one that uh, has a streak of denying President Biden certain things that he wanted to get accomplished. Yeah, I mean, this comes back right to inflation, right? So when the senator from West Virginia, the most conservative Democrat in the caucus, basically, you know, publicly ended any sort of negotiations over the president's signature domestic policy goal, the Build Back Better agenda, he blamed it largely on inflation and was concerned about injecting more money into the economy, spending more. And so that was blown up and and they are now back in negotiations. The status of those kind of remain unclear. Whatever they do, if they do come to a deal, it will be much smaller and narrower than the much more ambitious plan the president and Senate Democrats put forward uh, last fall. And again, that just comes back to how much this issue of inflation is overshadowing so much of what the president wants to accomplish. Tyler Pager, White House reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.